Hey everybody, and welcome into episode 64 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller, pleased to be joining you guys once again. Hope everybody is having an awesome weekend, beautiful day today on Saturday. I appreciate all of your support as usual, and be sure to tell all your friends about this podcast, especially if they love NASCAR, if they love the NFL, you've come to the right place. So as usual, a lot to recap on today's show. Recapping the weekend that was at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and once again, the Xfinity Series putting on a much better race than the NASCAR Cup Series did. I know that Sunday night, I know that it was a monumental and record-breaking night for Hendrick Motorsports with their 269th win in the NASCAR Cup Series. I get that, but let's face it, the Coca-Cola 600 was an absolute snooze fest. And I even know some people that are Hendrick fans that felt that same way. My good friend Nick Bonk, prime example. Even with, I know Chase Elliott is his driver, even when Chase Elliott finished in second on Sunday night, he said the race itself was absolutely dull. And hey, what have I been saying for the past year now? This is what happens with the 550 horsepower high downforce package at these mile and a half racetracks. So we're going to talk about that, obviously, with Hendrick Motorsports. Going to dive into Rick Hendrick's legacy and the impact that he has made on NASCAR for almost 40 years now. And silly season talk. And I know the past few weeks, a lot of speculation about Brad Keselowski's uncertain future at Team Penske and how it sounds like he's going to Roush Fenway Racing and going to be rebranded Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. But not a lot about Brad Keselowski this weekend. Kurt Busch. For months, ever since the Super Bowl, we thought that Kurt Busch was going to be retiring at the end of the 2021 season. Doesn't sound like that. Where is he going to go in 2022? Is he going to stay with Ganassi? Is he going to move elsewhere? Elsewhere? Stay tuned. Y'all are going to find out. And even some silly season talk with the schedule. I mean, it's June. We know that once the summer rolls around, at some point, NASCAR releases their schedule for the following season. And for 2022, there is some talk about some street races, possibly. Where at? Find out. And, of course, Phoenix did announce earlier in the week that they will be hosting Championship Weekend for the third consecutive season in 2022, November 4th through 6th. November 4th, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. November 5th, the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And, of course, November 6th next year will be the NASCAR Cup Series Championship Are they going to become the new Homestead Miami? I mean, we went to Miami for 17 years in a row to decide the championship from 2002 to 2019. Only time will tell. And, of course, previewing the weekend ahead. Today we have the NASCAR Xfinity Series making their return to mid-Ohio after that race was canceled last year because of COVID-19. And then tomorrow NASCAR makes their return to Sonoma Raceway Another race that was canceled last year because of COVID-19. So, let's get into it. This past Saturday at Charlotte Motor Speedway, the driver's only broadcast, which was absolutely incredible. On the pole was Riley Herbst for the first time in his career, and starting alongside him was the guy that drove that 98 car last year, Chase Briscoe. And the theme throughout the day at Charlotte Motor Speedway, once again... We were left wondering, is today the day that Daniel Hemrick finally gets that first NASCAR 
National Touring Series win. And how special that would have been for Daniel Hemrick from Kannapolis, North Carolina, just like the Earnhardts, if he would have been able to get the first win of his career at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which is just 20 minutes from Kannapolis, North Carolina. And he dominated the day, 105 laps led. He won both stages, but once again, some issues in the pits that got him back in the pack and unfortunately a victim of circumstances once again. But early on, I mean, besides Daniel Hemrick dominating, so many great battles throughout the day at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And Chase Briscoe making his return to the NASCAR Xfinity Series for the first time. I mean, we all know that this is his rookie season in Cup. And when you're a rookie, especially right now, when only a few, only eight Cup races this year that have practice and qualifying, seat time is extremely valuable. And I know a lot of people, they're always so quick to jump the gun when a rookie is struggling. I mean, we saw it last year with Cole Custer and Christopher Bell. I know a lot of people are feeling the same way this year with Chase Briscoe, but like I said, it's unusual circumstances because of COVID-19. You're only, like I said, only eight races this year where you practice and qualify, and the only time that you're able to test is if NASCAR and Goodyear want you to do a tire test. And luckily for Chase Briscoe, he was able to test at Nashville Super Speedway a few weeks ago and be a representative for Ford. Along with Kurt Busch was there for Chevrolet and Christopher Bell was there for Toyota. So seat time is valuable. And we know how much of a wheelman Chase Briscoe is. And let's face it, these Xfinity cars, 650 horsepower, a tiny rear spoiler compared to the mass, or as Dale Jr. would say, the giant-ass spoilers that we have on the cup car when it's the 550-horsepower high downforce package, it's in his wheelhouse. I mean, we've seen it so far this year. Some of the Chase Briscoe's best races so far as a rookie have been the 750-horsepower low downforce races. Anyway, what made such a difference at Charlotte Motor Speedway compared to all the other racetracks on the circuit is that artificial turf on the front straightaway. And I say that because Chase Briscoe and Ty Gibbs, they put on one hell of a show all day last Saturday. And they were coming off a of turn four on the front straightaway at the very end of the second stage. And Ty Gibbs, he spun when he was racing Chase Briscoe. And if this was any other racetrack, you'd be thinking, well, his day is done. The front end's getting ready to get ripped off because that stupid splitter that they have but not the case this time around charlotte that artificial turf that they have think of how many race cars it has saved over the past few years and ty gibbs was just the latest example of it and we've seen it how many times in the xfinity series in the cup series and another example is josh barry this year at atlanta motor speedway when he was running fourth and how when that car dug into the grass, how it ripped the whole front end off of the car. I mean, it dug right in like a snowplow, and his day was over. And we know his car owner, Dale Earnhardt Jr., has been the most vocal about the splitters on these race cars. You know, he, he tweets it every single time, and it's not just his, his race cars, but he tweets it every single time a cup car or an Xfinity car goes on the grass and the whole front end gets ripped off. He uses that hashtag, Team Valence. And really, when you think of it, Team Valence, when you have 
the front end of these race cars, when you have them higher up off the ground, that makes for better racing. I mean, these cars nowadays, I mean, you go back, go back and watch some of those races, some of those old school races, late 70s, the 80s, the 90s. You see those race cars, whether it was Dale Earnhardt's Chevrolet Monte Carlo or Bill Elliott's Ford Thunderbird or the Pontiac Grand Prix with Richard Petty or Rusty Wallace, and you see how high those cars are off the ground. You never had to worry about the front end getting ripped off. And as a matter of fact, I was going to say, it made for better racing too. So as I'm going to talk about here in a little bit as we recap the Coca-Cola 600, these are ways to not only make for, for better racing. I mean, let's face it. Anyway, a couple other incidents during the day on Saturday. Jeffrey Earnhardt and Matt Mills getting together in turn two, Jeb Burton going way, way high in turn four and spinning out. And Ryan Sieg, another one that's trying to get that first Xfinity Series win, the strategy that they had, lap 147, and how he got loose coming off of turn two and on the back straightaway. And when he overcorrected, he shot right up the track into Josh Berry and Brett Moffat. Nothing that those guys could do, but Ryan Sieg and Josh Berry, their cars were destroyed. Brett Moffat was able to continue, but obviously finished in 25th with all the damage that he had. And once again, Chase Briscoe and Ty Gibbs having an excellent battle for the win. And they were coming off of turn two, and on the back straightaway, it was lap 183. And while it might have looked like... Ty Gibbs, people were thinking, did Ty Gibbs get in the back of Chase Briscoe and spin him? No. I mean, he he just got so far up underneath of him that it took the air off of that spoiler, and Briscoe did a masterful job of saving that race car and not hitting anything and coming all the way back to finish sixth. But on the subsequent restart, lap 188, going down into turn one, Daniel Hemrick, heartbreak once, heartbreak Hemrick. I hate to say it. I'm not being a smartass or anything, but it just seems like this this has been the story of his career. So many times he's been in position to win a race, and something unfortunate happens, whether it's been pit road penalties or getting caught up in a melee like this, going down into turn one, and a lot of good race cars were taken out himself to the junior motorsports cars with Michael Annette and Noah Gregson, Justin Moneymaker Haley. He was running inside the top five most of the day. And Brandon Jones, I mean, he was really the only one that escaped and was able to get a good finish out of it. He finished eighth. But Tommy Joe Martin's phenomenal job that that underdog team has been doing all year. Another torn-up race car. And Riley Herbst, he got a little bit of damage, but he was able to finish 12th. But nevertheless, once again, Ty Gibbs continues to impress me. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, oh, you know, he's Joe Gibbs' grandson. You know, he's a rich kid. Was he really done... But he's living up to the hype. And he's winning on tough racetracks. And granted, I get it that the Arca Series, it's very watered down. You don't have 30, 40 some cars out there like it used to back in the day. And yeah, obviously Gibbs equipment, it's far, far superior to some of these other teams. But in the Xfinity Series, think of it. Think of it. He won on the Daytona road course, beating Austin Sendrick, of all people. He finished second at Austin Center at Phoenix. He finished fourth at Martinsville, his first time to Martinsville, an 18-year-old kid. And would have gotten a top 10 at Darlington if not for speeding on pit road. 
not once but twice. And I know that he ran Dover. He ran the Xfinity race at Dover, and I'm, I know that he pissed off a few drivers in the field. I think John Hunter Nemechek was one of them. But John Hunter Nemechek and Myatt Snyder, I believe, those were the two that were infuriated with the way that he was racing, but he still finished fifth that day. And to win at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and then hours later go out there and kick everybody's ass in the ARCA race, leading all 100 laps. And then yesterday evening, the ARCA race in mid-Ohio to lead all but seven laps and win the race, he is definitely going to be a factor today at mid-Ohio. So, 1 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They're making their return to mid-Ohio after that race was canceled last year because of COVID-19. 75 laps. Adam Alexander and Michael Waltrip, they will be providing the call. I believe Jamie McMurray, I think he's going to be on the call as well. And to no surprise on the front row, Austin Sendrick on the pole and Ty Gibbs. And like I said, Austin Sendrick, phenomenal road course driver. And he did win at Mid-Ohio in 2019, just one week after getting the first Xfinity Series win of his career at Watkins Glen. And, I mean, let's face it, arguably the best road course driver there is in the Xfinity Series right now. But he's he's finally getting rid of that narrative that he had going into last year that, oh, Austin Sendrick, he can only win on road courses. A lot of his wins ever since then have been on ovals. Kentucky was one of them. He won that championship at Phoenix, won again at Phoenix. He won at Dover. And he said repeatedly how much he loves Dover International Speedway. He said it's his favorite racetrack. And he did finish second to the guy that's starting second, and that's Ty Gibbs on the Daytona Road Course. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal drive that Ty put together back in February. Starting in row two are the Cousins. Harrison and Jeb Burton, they will be starting third and fourth, respectively. And starting fifth is Justin Allgaier. Justin won at Mid-Ohio in 2018. Starting sixth is Brandon Brown, and what a phenomenal job he did last Saturday at Charlotte Motor Speedway, finishing fourth after having to start 32nd on the field. I mean, what, what an incredible top ten that we had last Saturday at Charlotte. Ty Gibbs and Austin Cendrick, 1-2, that's no surprise, but Harrison Burton in third. Brandon Brown and that family-owned team, like I said, from 32nd to 4th. Tyler Reddick overcoming some issues to finish 5th for Jordan Anderson's 31 team. Chase Briscoe overcoming that spin to finish 6th. Ty Dillon finally, and I mean finally, having some good luck this year, finishing 7th. Brandon Jones, 8th. Jeb Burton, ninth. Jeremy Clements, another underdog team top 10 at charlotte motor speedway beating justin allgaier and justin said going into the day on saturday he said that it was going to be a long long day for whatever reason even though it's their home racetrack definitely an achilles heel for junior motorsports but just taking a look at the rest of the rundown before we get back into the starting lineup paul said o'reilly herps was 12th landon castle 13th and he said just a couple of nights ago that he definitely wants to make a return to the Cup Series one day, and rightfully so. Alex LeBay, 14th. Chad Fincham, 15th. Ryan Vargas, 16th. Jade Buford, 17th. Jesse Little, 18th, after some horrible luck the past few weeks. Justin Moneymaker Haley, in 19th, after getting caught up in the big one. Cody Ware, 20th. Josh Williams, 21st. Jeffrey Earnhardt, 22nd. Stephen Parsons, 23rd. Michael Annette, 24th. 
Brett Moffitt, 25th, Mike Snyder, 26th, had engine issues all day long. Noah Gregson was 27th, Daniel Hemrick, 28th, Tommy Joe Martins, 29th, Colby Howard, 30th, Ryan Sieg, 31st, 32nd was Josh Berry, 33rd, AJ Allmendinger with mechanical issues, Timmy Hill, 34th with an engine failure, Matt Mills, 35th, and running out the field last Saturday in his NASCAR Xfinity Series debut was Grant Enfinger, only 26 laps in after hitting the wall. So getting back to the starting lineup for today, like I said on the poll, Austin Sendrick, Ty Gibbs alongside of him. Third and fourth, like I said, the Cousins, Harrison, and Jeb, which, by the way, sounds like Jeb's father, Ward, is going to be on the Dale Jr. download this coming Tuesday. Whoa, Burton. Whoa, whoa. That's going to be one epic podcast. I hope he shows up with a couple snakes and everything. Those crazy wildlife videos that he's been posting on Twitter over the past year or so. Justin Allgaier starting fifth. Like I said, the 2018 Mid-Ohio winner, Austin Sendrick winning there in 2019. Brandon Brown in sixth. Brandon Jones seventh. Actually ran the ARCA race yesterday to get a little bit of seat time. Jeremy Clements, don't forget how he got that Huge, and I mean huge, upset win at Road America in 2017 with the family-owned team. Riley Herbst in ninth, Justin Moneymaker Haley in 10th, Daniel Hemrick in 11th. Both of them are very, very underrated road course drivers. Justin Haley, he got that truck win up in Canada in 2018. Daniel Hemrick, he did a lot of go-karting when he was a kid. Obviously, he, he's a top-five machine on road courses when things go his way. And A.J. Allmendinger is starting 12th A.J. won NASCAR's inaugural trip to Mid-Ohio in 2013, driving for Roger Penske. Noah Gregson in 13th, another one that really, really enjoys road courses. Mike Snyder, 14th. Michael Annette, 15th. Alex LeBay. Alex is a very, very underrated road course driver as well. I would not be shocked if he got a top 10 today. Ryan Vargas in 17th, Brett Moffat 18th. I was going to say, Brett's a really, really good road course driver too. Won the the last truck race at Canada back in 2019. It was announced just the other week that NASCAR's return to Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, it was supposed to be September 5th for the truck series. That was canceled because of COVID-19 travel issues. So Darlington gets a second truck series race. Jade Buford in 19th, another one with a bit of a road racing background. Landon Castle in 20th. Cody Ware 21st, some sports car experience. Jesse Little in 22nd. Ryan Sieg 23rd. 24th is Josh Williams. 25th is Tommy Joe Martins. 26th, Jeffrey Earnhardt. 27th is Andy Lally. Andy, another phenomenal road course driver. Another one I would not be shocked if he got a top 10 or a top five out of it today. Ryan Ellis in 28th. Miguel Paluto driving the eight car for Junior Motorsports today instead of Josh Berry. Miguel, a lot of road racing experience being from Brazil. Colby Howard in 30th. And Josh Berry will be driving the 31 for Jordan Anderson today. And ironically, he's starting 31st. This is going to be Josh's first time on a road course to my knowledge. Matt Mills in 32nd, Chris Wright in 33rd, another road racing ace. Matt Jaskell, 34th, Kyle Weatherman, 35th, Stephen Light, 36th, Joe Graff Jr., 37th, Bailey Curry in 38th, Preston Pardis in 39th, 
And Gray Galding starting 40th after having to miss the race last weekend at Charlotte, driving for Jimmy Means. And Preston Pardis, he's no slouch either when it comes to road racing. He's had a few top 10 finishes himself. So when I look at it today, I mean, obviously the heavy hitters, Austin Sindrick, Ty Gibbs, AJ Allmendinger. I definitely see it coming down to those three at the end of the day. And I think the biggest thing with AJ Allmendinger is I hope he learned his lesson from the Daytona road course to use your head. I mean, when him and Austin Sindrick, when they were battling for the end of that, that stage win at the Daytona road course, stage one, and they were racing each other like it was the last lap of the race, and AJ got all that damage and finished all the way back in 35th, I believe it was. I think that he's going to be aggressive, but I think he's going to play it smart as well. And, of course, Justin Allgaier. Justin won here in 2018, and what he did that year, it was he did a masterful job of conserving his tires. No matter how much Austin Center dominated that day, that's the one theme. When it comes to road courses, people always talk about take care of the transmission, take care of the brakes. But a lot of people forget that. A lot of times, it's so easy to abuse these tires on a road course. In Mid-Ohio and Sonoma, the tire wear especially, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And 2018 was a great example of experience over youth. Justin Allgaier, he did a great job conserving his tires. Austin Sendrick, he was, he was driving like hell trying to get that first Xfinity Series win. And in the end, it was Justin Allgaier that prevailed over Austin Sendrick. So... When it's all said and done today, as far as picking a winner for today's NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Mid-Ohio, I know that Jason Boone, he went with Justin Haley's teammate, A.J. Allmendinger, and I can definitely see why. Like I said, all the road racing experience that he has and the fact that he won the inaugural Xfinity race there in 2013, but... Obviously, I gotta go. I gotta go with the hot hand, and I'm gonna take the number 22 of Austin Sendrick once again. And I know that has to be bothering him, the fact that he has not won a road course race yet this year. Finished second on the Daytona road course, finished fifth at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. But then again, Grant and Kyle Busch was in that race, and I think that's the other thing too is that 54 is undefeated on road courses this year when you think of it. Ty Gibbs on the Daytona Road Course, Kyle Busch at Circuit of the Americas. But at the end of the day, I'm taking the number 22 of Austin Sendrick to win at Mid-Ohio. Now, Sunday night, the 62nd running of the Coca-Cola 600, Kyle Larson and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. on the front row. And I knew once Kyle Larson won the pole, I knew it was pretty much game over for the rest of the competition. I got to... Do a little bit of a humble brag here after I was so wrong in so many picks at the beginning of the year. I have correctly predicted three of the last four winners. Martin Trex Jr. at Darlington. I know I predicted him to win Dover, and he had some issues and finished 19th. But Martin Trex Jr. at Darlington, Chase Elliott, Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, and Kyle Larson this past Sunday at Charlotte Motor Speedway. But obviously, as we know, with the 550 horsepower high downforce package, it's all about clean air. It's all about that track position. And obviously with Kyle Larson on the pole in that five car for Rick Hendrick, 
it was going to be very, very hard to pass him for the lead. He led 327 laps of a 400-lap race. And unless you were a Kyle Larson fan, that race felt like an absolute eternity on Sunday night. But the one theme was no matter how dominant Hendrick Motorsports was with Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, William Byron, and Alex Bowman, I don't think it really came as much of a surprise to see how much of a struggle it was for Team Penske. Of course, this was just two days after Roger Penske pretty much made it known that Brad Keselowski more than likely will not be back with Team Penske in 2022. It was an absolute struggle for Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullens, and the two crew in a race that they won last year. I mean, when the sun was still out, they faded a 20th at one point, almost won a lap down. The pit stops were absolutely horrendous. Lost five spots one time on pit road. But as the daytime became the nighttime, Brad's car got progressively better. The pit stops got better, and by the end of the night, he was hounding down Kevin Harvick to try and get a top 10. But Ryan Blaney had a loose wheel early on and was only able to salvage a 13th place finish out of it. And Joey Logano and Paul Wolf struggled mightily on Sunday night, finishing 17th and actually pissing off Denny Hamlin. Denny was not too thrilled about the way that Joey was blocking him out on the racetrack. But nevertheless, only four caution flags on Sunday night. Obviously, the three stage breaks. Kyle Larson winning stage one. And then the other unfortunate thing of the night is Chip Ganassi racing. Ross Chastain qualified 10th, Kurt Busch qualified 12th. And there's been talk for quite a while now. What is Kurt Busch going to do? Is he going to retire? Is he going to go drive for somebody else in 2022? And for both of them, Ross Chastain having a power steering belt fail on the car early on in the 600 and finishing 41 laps down in 37th. And then for Kurt Busch, Kurt Busch having the same issue and having to go to the garage and not too long after he got back out on the racetrack being 35 laps down, the engine grenaded for good. And Kurt Busch finished 38th on Sunday night, the only car that failed to finish. And Jeff Andrews, who's the general manager of Hendrick Motorsports and been in charge of the engine department ever since Randy Dorton was tragically killed in 2004, that plane crash. Jeff Andrews, they supply engines to Chip Ganassi Racing, JTG Doherty Racing, and Spire. And Jeff Andrews said that he takes 100% responsibility for the engine issues that Kurt Busch and Ross Chastain had on Sunday night. He felt deeply, deeply sorry about that. But as I said, Kyle Larson, he was so dominant. And Greg Ives tried pulling the same strategy he did last year's 600, taking two tires, getting Alex Bowman in the lead. I know Denny Hamlin and Chris Gabehart, they tried playing the two-tire game as well. But they had absolutely nothing for the five of Kyle Larson, the nine of Chase Elliott. And the one thing that drove me nuts was there was one point, it was on lap 183 when Chase Elliott took the lead. And it was, and I get that Jeff Gordon drove for Hendrick Motorsports and he's an equity owner and he's going to be Rick Hendrick's heir apparent when Rick finally decides to retire. But Sunday night at Charlotte, it was like Chase Elliott was the only car on the racetrack. 
And that was quite a quite a comment that Jeff made when Chase Elliott took the lead from Kyle Larson and said, oh, th- this might be the best thing to happen to Kyle Larson is, is Chase Elliott taking the lead from him. Like, dude, I get that Chase Elliott was the one that took over your car when you retired and he's the one working with all your guys and everything, but man, you got to you got to let that Hendrick bias, you got to let that the Hendrick bias and especially the Chase Elliott bias, you got to put that aside. And yeah, I get, you know, Kyle Larson, he was a dominant car and the track was going through a bit of a transition period at that point, but but man, don't make it known like who who your favorite is. I mean, every week it's always with Jeff Gordon, it's always Chase Elliott, Chase Elliott, Chase Elliott, Chase Elliott. And and I know in two weeks when they go to Nashville and NBC takes over, I know Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to be the same way, talking about Alex Bowman, like he's the only car out on the racetrack. But nevertheless, Kyle Larson and Cliff Daniels, they did an amazing job when the track, when it went through the bit of, bit of a change and it got dark out, keeping on top of the adjustments. And William Byron and Rudy Fugel, they came to the party and took the lead lap 231 and I think the one thing was all the freaking lap cars that were in the way on Sunday night David Starr at one point got black flagged for being too slow and they still let him be out on the racetrack he finished 31 laps down Josh Balicki was another one finishing 18 laps down how many times did we see him in the way of a William Byron or a Kyle Busch to the point that they almost rammed right in the back of him so the other thing that comes to mind is Rash Fenway Racing, and obviously with all the talk of Brad Keselowski possibly moving over to Roush Fenway in 2022 and becoming a partial owner, Roush has really turned the corner this year compared to the past few years. Chris Busher getting stage points, Ryan Newman running well inside the top 10 before, unfortunately, he had a tire go down going down into turn three right at the very end of stage three. And ended up hitting the wall and finishing four laps down in 27th. Roush as a whole, they have really, really shown improvement. Granted, they still have a ways to go. But I think this is definitely a difference of night and day compared to the way that they were running just a few years ago. But nevertheless, as the laps wound down and it was starting to become obvious that Hendrick Motorsports was on their way to that record-breaking 269th win I know that you know Chase Elliott I know that he tried everything that he could William Byron Alex Bowman but Kyle Larson won the Coca-Cola 600 by 10 seconds over his teammate Chase Elliott 10 seconds this is the guy that ran four races last year before being indefinitely suspended by NASCAR there was there was even some talk during the summertime last year. People were wondering, is Kyle Larson even going to come back to NASCAR? And to take a team that Jimmy Johnson struggled with. I mean, there was no other way around it. Jimmy Johnson struggled those last few years of his career. Was it not having Chad Canales? Was it the high downforce package? Whatever the case may be. But Kyle Larson is finally getting a chance to show what he can do in top-notch equipment. So Kyle Larson the winner of the Coca-Cola 600, and the record-breaking 269th win for Hendrick Motorsports. And what was so amazing about it was how humble Rick Hendrick was when he was being interviewed on Sunday night. And he said to him, Richard Petty, Petty Enterprises, I mean, 268 wins. They had that record for almost 60 years. 
And Rick Hendricks said Sunday night in his interview, he said to him, Richard Petty is always going to be the king. It's almost kind of like when Jimmy Johnson won his seventh championship in 2016. And at the award ceremony in Las Vegas, he said, I might have seven champ- championships, but I'm never going to be the king and I'm never going to be the intimidator. And I can still remember that when Dale Earnhardt, when he tied Richard Petty for seven championships in 1994, and he said at his award speech in New York, and he said, Richard Petty to me is always going to be the king. So definitely classy, classy comments by Rick Hendrick. So Kyle Larson, the winner of the Coca-Cola 600, teammate Chase Elliott in second, Kyle Busch third, Best of the rest, I guess you could say. And Kyle said that, you know, we did fine against the rest of the field, but he said, Hendrick Motorsports kicked our asses. We got a problem. We definitely have to improve. William Byron, Willie B, woo! Finishing fourth at his home racetrack and teammate Alex Bowman, his first top five finish at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Sixth was Austin Dillon, seventh, Denny Hamlin, Chris Busher in eighth. If you're a Brad Keselowski fan, the fact that he finished, Chris Buescher finished eighth and Ryan Newman was running inside the top ten, I'd be excited for next year. Tyler Reddick in ninth, Kevin Harvick, his 400th top ten finish in the NASCAR Cup Series, obviously joining some very, very elite company. Richard Petty, I mean, that is a record that is never, ever going to be broken. Richard Petty, I mean, pretty much... All the records, when you think of it. 1,184 starts, 200 wins, 555 top fives, and 712 top tens. Kevin Harvick would have to race until he'd be about 80 years old to break (laughs) that top ten record. But several other names that come to mind when it comes to 400 top ten finishes in NASCAR Cup Series history. Another one was one of Richard Petty's biggest rivals in the early 70s, and that was Bobby Allison, 446 top 10 finishes. Ironically, the guy that made his NASCAR Cup Series debut on the day that Richard Petty ran his last race was a kid by the name of Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon. 477 top 10 finishes in the NASCAR Cup Series. And two others that come to mind, one would be Mark Martin, arguably the greatest driver that never won a Cup championship. Mark had 453 top 10 finishes. And, of course, the guy that Kevin Harvick took over for under very tragic and unfortunate circumstances in 2001, the late, great Dale Earnhardt Sr., Dale had 428 top 10 finishes in his career. The first was all the way back in 1978 at the Firecracker 400 at Daytona. And the final top 10 of his career was second at Atlanta, November 2000. Sadly, the last race of 2000. Getting back to the finishing order, 11th was Brad Keselowski. 12th, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 13th, Ryan Blaney, Bubba Wallace, 14th. And Bubba Bubba was doing an, an amazing job on Sunday night. Got stage points, finishing 9th on the third stage, running well inside the top 10, and once again, a problem on pit road. 14th, last car in the lead lap. 
Daniel Suarez, two laps down in 15. Daniel had a top 10 car. Unfortunately, had a tire go down early on. Was never really able to recover. Eric Jones arguably had a top 10 car. Once again, tire issues. Joey Logano in 17th. Matt DiBenedetto, 18th. Like I said, not a good night for Team Penske. Corey LaJoy in 19th. Michael McDowell, 20th. Three Stuart Haas cars in a row, back to back to back. Cole Custer, 21st. Eric Almirola, 22nd. Time's ticking away, Eric. Chase Briscoe in 23rd. Christopher Bell, 24th. Chris had a top 10 car, but ran into some issues, got into the wall and finished three laps down in 24th. Anthony Alfredo, 25th. Ryan Priest, 26th. Ryan Newman, 27th. Like I said, had a top 10 car. Justin Moneymaker Haley in 28th. Martin Truex Jr., who was undoubtedly one of the favorites going into Sunday night, had a left front tire go down, did a lot of damage, was never able to recover, nine laps down in 29th. Cody Ware, 30th. BJ McLeod, 31st. Quinn Huff, 32nd. James Davison, 33rd. Garrett Smithley, 34th. Josh Balicki, 35th. David Starr, 36th, Ross Chastain, 37th, and unfortunately, like I said, the only car that failed to finish, Kurt Busch, 38th, 139 laps in with an engine failure. So, Rick Hendrick, the all-time winningest owner in NASCAR Cup Series history, 269 wins, 20 different drivers, one for Hendrick Motorsports, and it all started with Jeffrey Bodine, April 29th, 1984, at Martinsville Speedway. And when Rick started this team in 1984, it was all-star racing. He had Harry Hyde as the crew chief. He had Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s grandfather, Robert G., building the race cars. Matter of fact, they came close. The first two drivers, one of them was going to be Richard Petty. The deal fell through. Another one that they considered to be their first driver at Hendrick, was going to be Dale Earnhardt Sr., but he wasn't ready to take a chance on a young team like that. But they hired Jeffrey Bodine, and they tore up some race cars early on in 1984. And after Jeff wrecked at Darlington, Rick Hendricks said, I can't do this. I can't keep funding this team out of my own pocket. And Harry Hyde told him, he said, let's go to Martinsville. Jeff is phenomenal at Martinsville. He's won tons of modified races there. Let's go to Martinsville. Just give this one more try. And Rick gave him an ultimatum and said, okay, but we have to win. If we don't win, I'm closing the doors on this team. And I'll be damned, Jeff Bodine won Martinsville. And Rick Hendrick wasn't even there that day. And the story goes, when they did the Together Hendrick Motorsports story in 2009, and Rick was sitting down with his mother, Mary. This was just a few years before she passed away. And Mary wanted to play a little bit of a joke on Rick. So Rick went to a payphone, and he asked his mom, he said, how do, we, how do we finish? And his mom said to him, we blew up. And Rick was like, oh, my God, we blew up? I'm going to have to close the team. And she said, no. She's like, we won. And Rick was like, why, why would you say that he blew up when we won? And his mother, Mary, said, I just wanted to get a reaction out of you. <laughs> but 1986, they expanded to two teams. And I think this is Rick Hendrick's legacy overall, is in an era when teams did not want to have teammates. Junior Johnson, I know he was trying to, in 1984, 
Double Thunder with Daryl Waltrip and Neil Bonnet. Rick was the first owner to really embrace the idea of having multiple teams and working together. So Jeff was able to get seven wins for Hendrick Motorsports. When they started that 25 team with Tim Richmond, I mean, Tim, Tim showed the natural raw talent that he had. And sure enough, his first win with Hendrick came at Pocono in June of 1986. And it makes you wonder what could have been. What could have been if, obviously, if he didn't get sick and pass away in 1989? A lot of people feel like he definitely could have been Dale Earnhardt's biggest rival as far as those championships in the late 80s and early 90s. But getting guys like Daryl Waltrip away from Junior Johnson, you know, Tim Richmond won nine races for them. Daryl Waltrip won nine races for them, including finally getting that Daytona 500. Having guys like Kenny Schrader, Kenny getting the first win of his career at Talladega in 1988. All four of his wins came with Hendrick Motorsports. And Ricky Rudd. Ricky was able to win some races for Hendrick Motorsports in that five car. Four wins. Finishing second to Dale Earnhardt in the 1991 championship. And then getting a guy like Terry Labonte, who a lot of people felt like Terry was washed up. But Rick Hendrick believed in him. And Terry was able to get 12 wins for Hendrick Motorsports in that 1996 championship with a broken hand. But obviously, the guy that you can make the argument turn Hendrick Motorsports into the powerhouse that it is. It's Jeff Gordon. And hearing that story about how Jeff, when Rick Hendrick, the first time that he saw Jeff Gordon race, it was that 1992 Bush race at Atlanta. And he was sitting up in a suite and he kept telling this one sponsor executive, he said, look at, he said, look at this car. Jeff was sideways going through the corners. And Rick was basically telling the guy, he's like, He's going to bust his ass sooner or later and end up in the wall. And Jeff won that race that day at Atlanta, beating some big cup guys, the likes of Dale Jarrett, Michael Waltrip, Mark Martin, Dale Earnhardt. They were all in that bush race that Saturday. And that was when Rick knew he had to get Jeff Gordon. And sure enough, those 93 wins and those four championships, 1995, 1997, 1998, 2001, Jeff Gordon definitely, and I mean definitely, helped Hendrick Motorsports go from a team that could win a few races to a team that could win championships. Yeah, guys like Jerry Nadeau only won one race, but it was with Hendrick at Atlanta. And then, of course, Jimmy Johnson, who, like I said, Jeff Gordon and Ricky Hendrick, they put in a huge word to Rick. We have to get Jimmy Johnson. We have to get Jimmy Johnson. And Jimmy only had one Bush Series win to his name, 2001 at Chicago. But sure enough, when you got him in that 24 shop and you paired him with Chad Knauss, I mean, 83 wins, those seven championships, five in a row from 2006 to 2010, and then again in 2013, and then in 2016 to do the impossible. I don't think anyone ever expected someone to tie Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt for seven championships, and Jimmy Johnson did it. Guys like Joe Nemechek, you know, Joe was able to win at Richmond in May of 2003. And then, of course, Kyle Busch. I know everyone thinks of Kyle Busch in the 18 car, but his career began at Hendrick Motorsports, and those first four wins of his career were with Rick. Before you can make the argument, definitely the biggest mistake he ever made was getting rid of Kyle Busch and keeping Casey Mears. And you had some, one, some other one-hit wonders, as far as winning for Hendrick Motorsports, of course, Brian Vickers at Talladega when he drilled Jimmy Johnson into Dale Jr. 
almost cost Jimmy his first championship. Definitely hindered Junior's championship hopes. But, and I mean, Brian had already made the announcement that he was going to leave Hendrick Motorsports. Definitely a very unpopular win. Then, of course, Casey Mears, the lone win of his career, that 2007 Coca-Cola 600 driving that 25 car for Rick. And then we all remember 2008. Undoubtedly one of the biggest signings in NASCAR history. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Hendrick Motorsports, the number 88 Chevrolet. And only nine wins for Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Hendrick Motorsports. Those two Father's Day wins at Michigan, the 2014 Daytona 500, the 2014 Pocono Sweep, finally winning at Martinsville in 2014. And then, of course, the last three wins of his career in 2015, Talladega, Daytona, and Phoenix. I think if Dale Jr. and Steve Letarte, I think if they would have been paired together a few years earlier, I think Dale definitely could have won a championship in his career. And getting a guy like Mark Martin in the twilight of his career to win five races for Hendrick Motorsports at 50 years old, and Casey Kane taking over that five car, another five wins. And then, I mean, these young guys that Hendrick Motorsports has now, Chase Elliott, finally getting that first win at Watkins Glen in 2018, and to have 12 wins, and to also win a championship in 2020, joining his father Bill as a NASCAR Cup Series champion. It's pretty incredible. And, of course, Alex Bowman. I mean, Alex, he's definitely starting to turn into a more consistent driver and four wins to his name. Obviously, the first was that the last race at Chicagoland Speedway, 2019. We're going to talk about Chicago here in a second. But William Byron to finally get his name on the winner's list. Two wins so far, Daytona last year, Miami this year, and Kyle Larson. Two wins so far this year, Las Vegas and Charlotte. I think that's amazing. 20 different drivers have won for Hendrick Motorsports. And I think it speaks volumes to Rick Hendrick, that philosophy of working together as one team. And I know that over the years, you had the rivalry with Jeff Gordon and Terry Labonte, Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. You know, the, you, you had the 24 and the 48 shop, the 5 and the 88 shop, or the 5 and 25 shop before that. And, of course, moving Dale Jr. over to the 88, or moving him to the 48 shop, and Jeff Gordon over to the 5 shop, and now trying to get all four of their teams to work together in one shop. I think that's, that's probably Rick's biggest legacy is having people work together for one common goal, and that's to win. And I think ultimately on Sunday night, I'm sure he had to think about all those people that helped him get to this point that sadly are no longer here. Obviously his parents, Papa Joe and Mary, his son Ricky, his brother John, his twin nieces, Randy Dorton, all those people that were lost at Martinsville in 2004. And, of course, some of the other people that worked for him, like Harry Hyde, Robert G., Tim Richmond. I think, I'm sure at some point or another, I'm sure that they definitely had to be in the mind of Rick Hendrick on Sunday night after this record-breaking 269th win. And... Clint Boyer, Clint Boyer said it Sunday night. He said, you know, Hendrick, it's incredible what they're doing right now to have all four of their teams win. But are they peaking too early? And, of course, I know he was doing that trying to get a reaction out of Jeff Gordon. But it does make you wonder. 
because let's face it, Larson, Charlotte, and Las Vegas. Las Vegas, it's in the playoffs. Chase Elliott, Circuit of the Americas. Who knows if that's going to be the only time they ever race there. William Byron at Miami, one race that year at Miami. Alex Bowman, Richmond. I mean, they go back to Richmond in September, but that was, that was a lucky win with Kevin Harvick blowing that tire. And Dover, Dover only has one race now. So the point that I'm trying to make is a lot of these wins, you know, 550 horsepower races, Charlotte, Las Vegas, Miami, tracks that are only have one race on the schedule, Circuit of the Americas, Dover. Whereas Martin Trex Jr., think about this for a second, Martin Trex Jr., he won at Phoenix. That's where the championship is at, November 7th. He won at Martinsville. That's the, the last cutoff race on Halloween. And he won Darlington, which is the first race of the playoffs, September 5th, the Southern 500. Now, with Truex, I mean, it's, it's sort of like a Ricky Bobby. He either wins or, or runs into trouble. There's no other way around it. But it, it definitely makes you wonder how they're going to perform when the playoffs roll around. But nevertheless, what a monumental moment for Hendrick Motorsports all around. So before I get into previewing tomorrow's race out in Sonoma, there has been some talk of the 2022 schedule for Kurt Busch. There was a report on Saturday, last Saturday, that Kurt Busch might be joining 23XI in 2022 as a teammate to Bubba Wallace. And it's rumored that he would be driving the number 32 Monster Energy Toyota. What a huge acquisition this would be for 23XI. There is no driver, in my opinion, and I know Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, I know those are some of the best when it comes to feedback and what they want in a race car. But I think I can make the argument Kurt Busch is probably the best. He's won with nine different crew chiefs. He's won with three different manufacturers. I mean, it's incredible. To win with, looking at those nine crew chiefs, Jimmy Fenning, one of the most old school crew chiefs in NASCAR history. They won that 2004 championship together. Roy McCauley, engineering background. Pat Trison, old school crew chief. Steve Addington, old school crew chief. And then his time over at Stuart Haas, Daniel Canost. His lone win as a crew chief. It was with Kurt Busch, bit of an engineering background. But then getting... An old school crew chief like Tony Gibson, who held Kurt Busch accountable for the first time in his career and really helped Kurt mature into the person that he is nowadays. I mean, a lot of credit goes to his second wife, Ashley, but I think Tony Gibson definitely had a huge part in that as well. And then eventually when Tony decided to step down from the pit box and take on more of a, more of a, a shop role at Stuart Haas Racing to win with Johnny Klossmeyer, to win with Billy Scott, and now with Chip Ganassi racing to win with Matt McCall after him and Jamie McMurray never really came close to victory lane, I think it definitely speaks volumes to Kurt Busch. And, I mean, think of it. He won with Ford, with Roush, Stuart Haas. He won with Penske, their time in Dodge, and to win with Chevrolets, whether it was Stuart Haas racing or now with Ganassi. I mean, th- to end your career with possibly 10 different crew chiefs you've won with and all four manufacturers, Ford, Dodge, Chevrolet, and Toyota, 
I think it definitely speaks volumes, and I think it will definitely help Bubba Wallace become an even better driver, and I think it will definitely help 23XI live up to their potential. And I mean, hey, it's a fifth Joe Gibbs car, so you get to spend the last few years of your career as a teammate to your younger brother Kyle. That's amazing to think about. Now, this past Wednesday night, Fox Sports 1, they had another iRace. And I'll be honest with you, it was fun. I was telling Jason Boone this the other day. It was fun last year, obviously, when the season was suspended because of the pandemic. And there was nothing else on as far as sports go. But I think now, I think it's pretty much served its purpose. I think it's pretty much run its course. No pun intended. You know, and... This past Wednesday night, they did an iRace on a fictional street circuit in Chicago. But, according to Adam Stern of the Sports Business Journal, NASCAR might be adding a street race to either the 2022 or the 2023 Cup schedule, and it would take place in the streets of Chicago. And Chris Myers from Fox Sports he reported not too long ago that Los Angeles, there might be either a street race there or they might even have a race at the L.A. Coliseum. And people don't, don't remember, but in 1956, NASCAR actually held a cup race at Soldier Field. So, and I know this thing like, oh, you know, we already have seven road courses. Why would we need a street race? That's more... IndyCar, that's more Formula One and everything. And I get that. But Chicago, Los Angeles, arguably two out of the top three markets in the country. Uh, I would say arguably New York City is the number one market in America. But I would put Los Angeles second and Chicago third. These are big, big markets that NASCAR is trying to reach out to. It's almost kind of like in the 90s. Look at all the markets that they added right then and there. Southern California, going to Fontana. Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Fort Worth, Texas. You know, this is just the latest example of NASCAR trying to, trying to branch out and make their fan base even more diverse, more popular. I mean, NASCAR, I would definitely say it's on the uptick. I know that I, I criticize a lot of things that they do. I mean, the Coca-Cola 600 was an absolute joke with the 550 horsepower high downforce package. You couldn't pass anyone, and, you know, unless you were a Hendrick Motorsports car. Even taking two tires, it did you nothing. There was hardly any passing, hardly any action. You're running wide open around a mile and a half racetrack. When a lot of times you go back and you watch a race from the 90s or the early 2000s, 900 horsepower, you could hear that engine screaming down into the corner and having to get out of the throttle and roll back into it. They got to do away with the 550 horsepower package. It has killed racing on the mile and a half tracks. Killed it, especially at Charlotte. But anyway, getting back to Chicago and Los Angeles, like I said, NASCAR, in order to not only remain popular, but, but to become more popular, you need these big markets. I remember back around 2003, 2004, there was talk about them possibly having a street race in New York City near Staten Island. That would have been freaking huge. I mean, that was back when they had the award ceremony every December at the Waldorf Astoria. 
I think that would have been amazing to take in a street race in New York City. So I think NASCAR, I think that they're trying to make the schedule even more diverse. I mean, you added seven road courses. Now let's add some street courses. I know that Roger Penske has been the one behind this, behind this idea. Next weekend, the IndyCar Series, they're going to be racing in the streets of Detroit. Belle Isle always puts on a great show. So I definitely understand where NASCAR is coming from, and I think it would be pretty incredible to have a street race in Chicago or Los Angeles. Kurt Busch in the late 90s when Kurt was running in the NASCAR Southwest Series. They did a street race in Los Angeles. And, I mean, obviously it was sort of, sort of a one-and-done kind of deal, but it was still pretty exciting and entertaining. So I think it would be, like I said, I, I like some of these ideas that NASCAR has as far as the schedule goes, but ultimately you got to improve the racing. And the way that you improve the racing is, like I said, get rid of these splitters, make the car be higher up off the ground that's not sucked into the ground like you see. Get rid of these, as Dale Jr. would say, giant-ass spoilers. I mean, they're, they're killing racing on the mile-and-a-half tracks. And let's get some horsepower back into these cars. How freaking embarrassing was it last Saturday at Charlotte Motor Speedway that the ARCA cars, the ARCA cars were faster than the cup cars. ARCA. That is embarrassing. And Bob Pockeris from Fox Sports was saying that, oh, you know, the 550 horsepower, that this is what the owners and the engine builders want, you know, uh, to reduce the horsepower, that it, you know, it reduced the, the cost, cost measures as far as building engines and everything. Excuse me for saying that, but that's bullshit. So... You actually think that sucking all the horsepower out of these cars is going to make for better racing. You're absolutely freaking crazy. And we need to get back, even if it's 750 horsepower. I'm sure the days of 900 horsepower are long gone. But that's absolutely embarrassing to have Xfinity cars and ARCA cars faster than the Cup cars this past weekend at Charlotte. And now, next weekend at the All-Star Race, 510 horsepower package for the All-Star Race. When Xfinity, like I said, they usually run about 650 horsepower in their cars. Embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. Now, taking a look ahead to tomorrow's Toyota Save Mart 350 at Sonoma Raceway, NASCAR's return to the Bay Area for the first time since 2019. Obviously, last year's race was canceled because of COVID-19, and the race was held at Charlotte Motor Speedway on a Thursday night in late May after the Coca-Cola 600. Chase Elliott went on to win that race. The defending champion of this race at Sonoma Raceway, Martin Truex Jr., two years ago, and that was also the last race for Daryl Waltrip, on NASCAR and Fox as far as his television career is concerned. So tomorrow, 4 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, 90 laps around Sonoma Raceway Stage 1, Lap 20, Stage 2, Lap 40. 
And on the poll for the fourth consecutive race at Sonoma Raceway, it's the number five Chevrolet of Kyle Larson. Now, obviously, this is different. The lineup is based off of that formula, race finish, owner points, fastest lap. To no surprise, obviously, with Kyle Larson winning in dominant fashion, he's on the pole for tomorrow. And Kyle, when he drove there for a Chip Ganassi racing, he did win three poles in a row there, 2017, 2018, and 2019. But that success never carried over to the race on Sunday. And you see it a lot of times, A.J. Allmendinger was another example of it. He would always be phenomenal in qualifying at Sonoma, but he would abuse his equipment and his tires, and by the end of the day, he wasn't even a factor. Matter of fact, Kyle Larson, four trips to Sonoma, six trips to Sonoma, excuse me, one top 10, and that was 10th in 2019. Starting second is teammate Chase Elliott, the road course ace that he is, six of his 12 wins are on road courses. Chase was fourth in this race in 2018, had a shot to beat Martin Trex Jr. in 2019 when the engine blew up. Starting third is another teammate, William Byron, Willie B. Woo! Not much experience for William Byron at Sonoma, obviously. I mean, only two starts there, 2018 and 2019, and neither one of them resulted in a top 10 finish. But William Byron actually did run the K&N West Series race at Sonoma in 2018 to get some experience, and he ended up finishing third that day. Matter of fact, William Byron and Chase Elliott, they're going to be making their returns to the Truck Series. Chase Elliott's going to drive the 24 for GMS next Saturday at Texas Motor Speedway. And William Byron, he's going to be driving the number 27 Chevrolet at Nashville on June 18th. Starting fourth is Denny Hamlin. Denny was second to Tony Stewart, the final win of his career in 2016. Starting fifth is his teammate Kyle Busch. Two wins at Sonoma, 2008. In 2015, not too long after making his return from his broken leg, he was able to win at Sonoma, holding off big brother Kurt. Starting sixth is Austin Dillon. But once again, as we know, Austin Dillon does not have a single top 10 finish to his name on a road course in the Cup Series. Starting 7th is Alex Bowman. Alex finished ninth in this race in 2018. Starting alongside of him is 2017 Sonoma winner Kevin Harvick. Kevin has tons of experience at Sonoma, obviously being from Bakersfield, California. Tons of top fives and top tens there, no matter if he's been driving for Stuart Haas Racing or his time at Richard Childress Racing. Starting ninth is Brad Keselowski, but he'll be the first to tell you Sonoma, it's not really a great track for him. Just like his mentor, Dale Earnhardt Jr., the numbers are almost identical. One top five for both of them there. There were third place finishes, third for Brad in 2017. He didn't even have Paul Wolf that day. Paul was not available for that race. Brian Wilson was the interim crew chief. Other than that, Brad's other top 10 at Sonoma, it was a 10th in 2011. Tyler Reddick in 10th, but obviously this is going to be Tyler's first time to Sonoma Raceway since last year was canceled. Ryan Blaney in 11th. Ryan finished third in this race back in 2019 with Jeremy Bollins. And starting 12th is Chris Buescher, very, very underrated road course racer. Matter of fact, talking about Mid-Ohio, Chris Buescher got his first Nationwide Series win at Mid-Ohio in 2014. Starting 13th is Joey Logano. Talk about underrated road course drivers. He does have a win at Watkins Glen in 2015, but Joey 
himself has a few top five finishes at Sonoma Raceway, but those were with Todd Gordon. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ricky, another one that has struggled a lot on road courses. Bubba Wallace in 15th. Daniel Suarez in 16th. Very, very underrated road course driver. Finished third at Watkins Glen his rookie year in 2017. Matt Benedetto, another dark horse as far as road courses go. He was fourth at Sonoma in 2019. Eric Jones. Eric Jones is starting 18th. But starting all the way back in 19th because of the trouble he had last Sunday at Charlotte Motor Speedway, three-time Sonoma winner Martin Truex Jr., Martin, his lone win with Michael Waltrip Racing, was at Sonoma in 2013. And, of course, this was just three months before Spingate happened at Richmond. And then, of course, he won there in 2018, last year of Furniture Row. And then 2019, he was able to win his first year of Joe Gibbs Racing. Starting 20th is his teammate Christopher Bell, who won on the Daytona Road Course earlier this year. But once again, this is Christopher's first trip to Sonoma. 21st, Michael McDowell. We know about the extensive background that he has in road racing. Corey LaJoy, 22nd. Cole Custer in 23rd. And Ryan Newman in 24th. Ryan is another one as far as road courses are concerned. He's had a few top fives and top tens at Sonoma. And a matter of fact, when he ran here in 2019 for Jack Roush, he finished, it was 7th that day at Sonoma. Chase Briscoe in 25th. He's going to be competing in the K&N West Series race later today to get some seat time. Eric Almarola, his teammate in 26th. Eric surprisingly has one top 10 at Sonoma, but that was all the way back in 2018. Ryan Priest, 27th, did a phenomenal job in the rain a couple weeks ago at Coda. Anthony Alfredo in 28th. Ross Chastain, 29th, career best fourth place finish in the rain at Coda a few weeks ago. He is a very, very underrated road course driver. And starting 30th is 2011 Sonoma winner Kurt Busch, all the way back in 30th. But hey, Juan Pablo Montoya, when he won this race in 2007, he started 32nd on the field that day. Ben Rhodes making his NASCAR Cup Series debut in 31st, filling in for Justin Haley, who's obviously racing in mid-Ohio today. James Davison, who won that I-race on Wednesday night on the Chicago street course. James has a ton of experience as far as road racing. He's starting 32nd. Quinn Huff, 33rd. Garrett Smithley, 34th. Scott Eckert, road racing background. He's starting 35th in BJ McLeod's car. Josh Balicki, 36th. Josh, another solid road course racer. Several top 15s in Xfinity. And starting 37th is Cody Ware. So when I look at tomorrow, Martin Truex Jr. starting back in 19th, Kurt Busch all the way back in 30th, Jason Boone, matter of fact, he has a prediction that both Bush brothers finish in the top five tomorrow. And honestly, that's, that's a solid pick there by Boone. Let's not forget Kurt Busch, as horrible of a season as, that he has had, he finished fourth at the Daytona Road Course back in February. And let's not forget Kurt Busch back in 2012, one year after being fired by Roger Penske, driving the underfunded 51 car for James Finch, finishing third at Sonoma. Third at Sonoma in a James Finch car. And he had a great shot to win right there at the very end, battling with Clint Boyer and Tony Stewart. And the left front clipped one of the, one of the tire barriers coming out of the turns there. 
and obviously it did some suspension damage, but to finish third in a James Finch car with suspension damage, it just shows you how talented Kurt Busch is when it comes, I mean, he's talented overall, but especially road courses. I mean, this guy, he's raced at Sonoma 19 times. He won there in 2011, holding off Jeff Gordon, who won five times at Sonoma, seven top fives and 10 top tens at Sonoma. He is a freaking wheel man. And if if everything could stay right tomorrow, if, if he doesn't get any bad breaks, like Boone said, he could definitely come out of there with a top five finish. But Martin Truex Jr., if I were if I were James Small, I wouldn't even give a damn about stage points. Pitt, Martin, and this goes for Matt McCall as well. Pitt, Martin, and Kurt Busch before the end of those stages. Have them stay out under caution, and you get that track position and that clean air. Because we know at Sonoma that things can get crazy from time to time, especially those last few laps of the race. You know, Daryl Waltrip said at one time, this was back in the late 90s, obviously towards the end of Daryl's career. And this was the 1997 Sonoma race, I believe it was. And Daryl was running like 30th with 10 laps to go. And people started wrecking and spinning and smashing into each other and everything. And the next thing you know, Daryl was able to come out of there with a top five finish. And he was no slouch himself either when it came to road courses. Won a lot at Riverside. But Sonoma, it's been on the schedule since 1989. Matter of fact, Fox Sports 1, they were showing the 1989 Sonoma race this morning before, obviously, their Xfinity coverage is on right now. But 4 o'clock on Fox Sports 1 tomorrow, Mike Joy with play-by-play duties, five-time Sonoma winner Jeff Gordon, 1998 through 2000, 2004, and 2006, and 2012 Sonoma winner Clint Boyer, They'll be providing the call tomorrow. But when it's all said and done, Jason Boone, he went with the number 18 of Kyle Busch. Obviously, we know with Kyle, the piss and vinegar that he has, especially after he said, we have to beat Hendrick Motorsports. And we know about how his feelings were in 2007 when they released him in order to get Dale Earnhardt Jr., but kept Casey Mears. When Kyle Busch has a chip on his shoulder, he performs just like we've seen with Kevin Harvick over the years. But ultimately, I got to go with the hot hand right now. And I am taking the number nine Napa Auto Parts Chevrolet of Chase Elliott to get his first Sonoma win tomorrow. And he will be only two wins behind his predecessor, Jeff Gordon, as far as the all-time win win record on road courses. Jeff won nine road course races, five at Sonoma, four at Watkins Glen. And of course, obviously, now that we have seven road courses on the schedule this year, by the time it's 2021 is all said and done, Chase Elliott could have the record. I mean, we're going to Road America on the 4th of July, the Indianapolis road course, Watkins Glen that he has dominated the last three years. And of course, the Roval he's dominated the last two years. So to recap for today at Mid-Ohio, I am going with the 22 of Austin Cendrick. Jason Boone is going with the number 16 of A.J. Allmendinger. And for tomorrow at Sonoma Raceway, he's taking the 18 of Kyle Busch. I'm taking the number 9 of Chase Elliott. I just think, obviously, with Chase having that track position, being on the front row and everything, I mean, obviously anything could happen. And, of course, as we saw in 2019 when his engine broke, 
Anything can happen at Sonoma. But obviously, when you put Chase Elliott on the front row at a road course race, like we saw Daytona this year before the rain hit, he is virtually unstoppable on a road course. I think Truex, Kurt Busch, and Kyle Busch, I think they'll be up there. I think Denny Hamlin's going to be a factor. I think Joey Logano will definitely be the best of the Penske trio. But ultimately, I am taking the number nine of Chase Elliott to win tomorrow at Sonoma Raceway. That's going to do it for episode 64 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Episode 65 next Saturday, previewing the doubleheader next Saturday at Texas Motor Speedway for the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series, and also previewing All-Star Night Sunday night next weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Y'all take it easy.